Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to February's Outside the Box. I am joined as ever by Mickey Noonan. Noonan? I said that weirdly. <laughs> Noonan. Who is, she, who is this that's, imposter? That's new. By Michaela Noonan. Michaela Louise Noonan to you, if we're going to go full formal. And Jen, no middle name offered. Correct, I have no middle name. Hello. Is there a reason, Jen? My parents are lazy. Um, <laughs> no, they, they liked our first names, so they just they don't bother with a second. Don't like their family members, apparently didn't want to, you know, tribute anyone, didn't want to tip the old hat to anyone there. Just one name is good enough for my kids, they said. Mine is random. There's no family history as there is with Hannah's. It's quite of the time, though, isn't it, Louise? I used to pretend that my middle name was Louise because I was jealous of other people for having one (laughs) because my best friend's middle name was Louise. If it had stuck, I would actually have been, you know, in initials, not life, J-Lo. Oh, that's true. Kind of regret, in some ways, not sticking with it, but there you go. Despite being able to write my own name for a, a good few years now, I still always spell Louise wrong. I get the I and the S the wrong way around. I type too fast. My middle name isn't isn't a family name. Oh, I thought Christian was a family name. No. Oh. No, it's just what they were going to call me if I was a boy. Quite lazy, Jen, as it goes. Fuck it. Why not? Yeah. I think there's something in, right, if I'm tenuously trying to bring it back to the <laughs> subject. There's something in how creative writers have to be to think up all those names. God bless them. Right. So let's talk about some telly. I have to say, for the first time in however many years that we've been doing this, I've watched a lot of telly and I'm mostly ambivalent about all of it. I quite liked some of it. Some of it was decidedly average. The only thing I really, really enjoyed that I thought was an absolute banger was Frayed. And that said, Frayed, which is Sarah Kendall's comedy drama on Sky set between the UK and Australia... Mickey did an interview this week. That actually only became available to watch for ordinary people who don't get previews today. So I don't know how much we can say about it other than to echo what you said in the interview, which is that Jim is an absolute diamond and I fully love him. I love him. I'll fight you for Jim. We can be two bulldogs wrestling over an oyster. <laughs> <laughs> not not like oh, that. Oh, no. good God, no. <laughs> just to be clear. But just in a way that, yeah... He's thoroughly charming in a really odd way. Anyway, I thought I might start with Trigger Point because I've been accused in the past of being a snob about ITV dramas. And in the list of things that I have watched this month and gone, this is one of the better ones, to be honest. Have either of you watched it? I have not seen it. the first episode. Okay, so six parts going out on a Sunday night Another drama to come with the tagline from the makers of Line of Duty. And to be fair, this one actually has a lot more connection to the makers of Line of Duty than they usually do when they have that tagline. (laughs) Starring the reason I am watching it, Vicky McClure. The reason I have stuck with it, Vicky McClure. She is excellent. She's got a good cast around her. Adrian Lester, Ralph Innocent, Einstein, Competitive. Who knows? (laughs) Kerry Godleyman and Warren Brown, who Jen is just in from. I know, I know, I know who Warren Brown is. He's also the Hollyoaks date rapist. Was he? Um, If you want to go further back, let's not dwell on it. Blimey. It's about bomb disposal experts, of which Vicky McClough's character is one, and an ongoing campaign of terrorism. Who is to blame? Is it an Islamic terrorist group? Is it a right-wing group? 
trying to blame it on an Islamic terrorist group is there an inside man you know very much line of duty style television it's all right I think Vicky McClure is the reason to watch it and I will continue watching it to the end the plot moves on at a a nice enough clip it's you know it's got some drama it doesn't have because it's only series one it doesn't have that dense mythology that started to ruin line of duty towards the end of that the only thing I'd say about it is it's about a bomb disposal unit and the bomb disposal stuff itself kind of lacks a little bit of tension given that I'm guessing they're not allowed to show how to either make or dispose a bomb (laughs) on national television. So those bits kind of lose a bit of their edge. They seem slightly hurried, those bits, whereas ordinarily you think they'd be quite long and drawn out. But yeah, I think it's all right. Jen, what did you make of it? Oh, I thought the bomb bits in the in the one episode I watched, I thought the bomb bits were actually quite tense. There's a guy who's been like kidnapped and he's got one strapped mm. to him, and obviously they don't show you how to uh, deal with that situation. But um, it's, I found that like sort of casualty level tense. Fusing of the bomb bit is always done really quickly because you know it's always yeah. like, oh, let's just bring on this thing that goes. Pff, Nobody really knows what's happened. I found the whole episode opening scene of casualty level tense and it was too much for me. (laughs) There was too much jeopardy and I couldn't handle it. I probably would have stuck with it, but I don't want to spoiler. I'm not going to spoiler what happens at the end of episode one. There was, I felt, a gratuitous body part and I didn't want to watch it after that. Okay. Interesting. I used to knock around with someone at university whose dad had been an army bomb disposal expert during the Troubles. And mm. he was the most relaxed man I've ever met. He was really chilled out. You'd probably have to be, wouldn't mm. you? Like, or maybe just like everything seems pretty easy after you've like, you know, got rid of a few bombs. Exactly. Good for him. I'm happy for him. <laughs> Glad he had that in his life. I've got a friend whose dad was arrested during the Troubles. So I feel like we've covered the whole <laughs> Troubles in one podcast. I'm sure Ireland and Northern Ireland will wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. <laughs> yeah. I feel the need to say there was no evidence against him. Other things, feel free to jump in if you've watched any of them. Other things that I saw one episode of and went, eh. Uh, the Sinner, Mickey. Oh, I haven't got around to it yet, but if one episode in, you're already... eh, I was like, at the end of season three, there's nowhere for this to go. I was a bit bored and I needed something to talk about. So I was like, okay, I'll watch The Sinner and I watched one episode and I just... There's a lot of him looking confused and I only really care about just that character if it's played by Justin Theroux. Other than that, I've no interest. Hmm. Nobody does a confused face quite like him, so... The Fear Index, watched a couple of episodes of that, which I did actually mention, which is on Sky. They are pushing that. They are pushing that on Sky. What's that, please? Josh Hartnett. I was about to ask, did anyone watch the Josh Hartnett thing? So so it's Josh Hartnett. It's based on a book by Robert Harris, which should commend it. And it has Layla Farhad, who was really great in I I Hate Hate Susie. Susie. And I watched two episodes of it when it was on the preview service. And... Mostly because I wanted to look at what's happened to Josh Hartnett's face because it just looks so weird. And uh, Mm. we'd had that conversation about women actors who've done that to their face. And I was kind of curious to see 
what it looked like on a bloke. And it was, it kind of, it was okay. It's quite flashy. It's, you know, it's set in Switzerland amongst the mega rich. But then when I got the opportunity to watch the third one, I just thought, no, I can't be bothered. Because it's <laughs> it's just one of those things that's like the question of, is he being set up or is he mad or, you know, and I actually don't really like those kinds of dramas. I don't like the ones where you watch someone be put in a hole, basically, and then dig themselves out. So, I mean, based on that, some people may enjoy it, but it didn't really do much for me. The Responder. Hello, I can join in this one. Martin Friedman watched one episode and kept thinking... You know, maybe if this was Stephen Graham, I would watch more of it. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Martin Freeman, but I didn't think he was bad in it. And I bloody love Ian Hart, and Ian Hart was cracking in it, but I just couldn't just couldn't bring myself to watch another episode. I was utterly ambivalent about it. Similar vibe, if I'm honest with you. Actually, I thought Martin Freeman was very good, and his Scouse accent was very good, because so many people try and fail mm. with a Scouse mm. accent. And... I thought he brought that character to life. I thought Ian Hart was brilliant. But I just thought, I don't want to watch more angry white men. <laughs> I just don't feel the need really? to fill... I know, it's weird. I don't feel the need to fill my spare time with angry men. And it was just a, a certain pitch the whole way through, right? I've mm. just been, everyone is very angry all of the time and yeah. shouty. Yeah. So can I tell you something related to that? That um, I wanted to watch it and my mum vetoed it because she says that she doesn't want to watch anything gritty, basically, ever. Um, <laughs> so what I've been watching a lot of this month is... Paddington. <laughs> uh, no, episodes of The Repair Shop. Right? That's cute. And do you know what? I fucking love it. It's great. Yeah. It's proper great. And it is gritty, Jen, but it's not just gritty. It's just so angry. Just so angry. Yeah, and again, it's a situation where a guy's being fitted up or, you know, something terrible's going to happen and you have to watch this. And I just I just lost interest in, in that sort of thing. Yeah, doesn't yeah. really do it for me. Something that I watched, and again, I was quite ambivalent about, but Mickey told me it was good, so I did stick with all of it, and I would say it got better at the end, is Chloe. Tell me about that, Mick. Oh, it's interesting that you say it got better at the end. Obviously, we're not going to do spoilers because Jen is four episodes in and Mm. there are six. I'm going to start with the positives, which I think there are a lot of. This BBC One series, which is available all in one dollop on iPlayer, if you want to do it that way, from Alice Seabright, both some excellent writing talent, including Kaylee Clewellyn, and is fresh and gripping. I say fresh because it is. But it is also of that genre that's around at the moment where it's tapping into the current trend for bogus identity uh, dramas and the many lies of online life. More on that from me later. Also, lead actor Erin Doherty, who isn't the titular Chloe, but actually Becky Green slash Sasha, I think is superb throughout this. That thing I bang on about of actors having to show the viewer their schemers while fooling the other characters with ease that is seemingly impossible to master... Mm. She nails it, I think. So, a quick plot summary. Becky's bored, stuck in a series of temp jobs and sort of looking after her ill mum, and spends her spare time listening to podcasts and obsessing over the perfect Instagram of a woman called Chloe Fairbutt. Oh, and occasionally pretending to be someone else to sashay into posh parties with ease. Remember that? It's going to be important. And then Chloe dies by suicide. The last person she called? Becky. 
And so Becky becomes Sasha, ingratiating herself into Chloe's circle with an ease that stretches credulity. Mm. But it's kind of thrilling to watch. Look, she's best mates with Chloe's best mate now. Blimey, she's only shagging Chloe's grieving husband. Wowzers, he's a really heavy sleeper. That's helpful. Would you look (laughs) at that? She's found Chloe's secret caravan. It is all a bit fortuitous how clues to what might or might not have happened to Chloe fall into Becky Sasha's lap. But it's testament to the writing that I was sort of happy to stay along for the ride anyway. Also, the series plays with the realities of grief and loss and memory, which often means that versions of events differ wildly and that very little can be trusted. And I think it does that well. There's a pretty taut climax, but... And here is my negative, and it's it's probably my only niggle, really, with what for me was a tense, entertaining watch. It takes way too long to get there. This is a solid six-parter when it could have been a cracking four-parter. 100% agreed, because what it is at the end, and I'm not going to spoil it for Jen, but what it is at the end, it should have been that from the start, and then been, I would have said, even two parts, maybe. Oh, wow. Or, Ooh, yeah, she's, she's a cruel because, mistress. Because if... You hadn't said it was good. I wouldn't have stuck with it. And I wouldn't know what the message it gave out at the end, which was actually, I think, quite a good message mm. or mm-hmm. or the life experience it showed at the end or talked about at the end. I'm, again, speaking in a, a highly sophisticated code, which Jen will never be able to break. But, <laughs> um, yeah, and that is worth talking about. But I felt quite a lot of it really meandered. And oh, a strange credulity agreed. <laughs> oh yeah, the credulity's like it's, it's nuts, but it's um, but I found myself going, oh, she's very clever, isn't she? She um, is agreed. Obviously, I'm only four episodes in, and I I will say that I think when we were on the second episode or the third episode, I was a bit like, have we only watched this many episodes? I felt like we'd watched more <laughs> than we had. Yeah. But I am enjoying it. I'm finding it a bit like, I don't know, there's obviously something's happened with her sister that I'm, we're going to, I presume, find out more about. And every time I see a flashback, it makes me feel very anxious. Mm. I think the stuff about her mum is really interesting. Mm. And I think the stuff about how she is bored and lonely and sort of feels like, you know, she's had a bit of a shitty hand in life. And, you know, she obviously feels like, she wants more than her life is affording her and I think that that's you know and in looking after her mum I think that's all quite interesting and sort of looking at other people's lives and assuming they're a certain way but perhaps you know there's something beyond the facade you know we all talk about that with Instagram all the time and I don't know I think it's quite interesting I'm looking forward to seeing the next two episodes. I think it is interesting and I think she's incredibly watchable and that character is complicated and relatable even though she's doing some batshit stuff and gaslighting a whole load of people Mm. of grieving people of grieving people yeah and and there are reasons for that but whether you think they excuse her behavior i think is an interesting question for the end but Mm. i had worked out everything there were no surprises for me after episode three which is why i think four parter hannah clearly got it in episode two which is why she was like interesting because I haven't got anything. I have literally no idea what's going to happen at this stage. I'm still like, oh, I've got theories, but I've had like loads of different theories now. I think once you get to the end, you'll go, oh, yeah, one of those. 
Well, it might end up being one of the many theories I've had, but, you know, I've had a lot. So. <laughs> now, talking of the word credulity, I've got a documentary about it, and so have you, Mick, but maybe we'll talk about those in the second half. Okay. I might fire through a few more just things. Louis Theroux has some documentaries back on. Haven't watched any of them. Where's all the new history stuff? BBC hasn't put any new history stuff out for a while. Where are, is Lucy Worsley and Sam Willis? That's what I want to know. Best history presenters, not on TV at the minute. Do you think it's a hangover from COVID and recording? Because they must take a long time to put together all that research and, you know, costume for Lucy, in fairness. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, Sam Willis does a lot of stuff about, like, ships, so he's quite often abroad, so perhaps that's curtailed that mm. as well. I love him. He's the person who made me want to go to Uzbekistan. I mean, who would have thought that was a thing? <laughs> but there you have it. No one's even made me want to work out how to spell it, Hannah. So uh, <laughs> good luck to you. I think my mum's been there, you know. <laughs> really? Wowzers, go cat. Yeah. It looks amazing. I think she has. I think she went on one of her, like, um, single people holidays there. To Uzbekistan? I think so, <laughs> yeah. They do go to some weird places. We're going go to go I'm going to join one, if you that's should. the case. You should. Go, go, go with my mum if you want. Give me a little bit of time in the house for myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, great. One more thing I think we should mention is Inventing Anna, which is taking the internet by storm. Oh, the internet is so behind the times, Hannah. I'm not watching, and I'm not watching deliberately because... As I tweeted yesterday, 2019, I did an interview with Rachel Deloche Williams, who was one of Anna Delvey's victims. She told me some stuff off the record about Netflix that made me know in advance that I was never going to watch it. Mm. And from what I can see, having Googled Rachel's name the other day to check out to spell it, because um, people sometimes have an extra A in, don't they, with Rachel's. Anyway, she seems to, from what I can gather, be somehow being portrayed as the bad guy. Oh. Yeah, and there's lots of sort of women's magazine style articles that always crop up when there's a really popular drama, you know, that you didn't know. Talking about, you know, who's the real villain of it? And I, I just feel the need to say now, it's not Rachel. The con artist is the real villain in this. If you believe it's not the con artist, you have been conned by a con artist. And you and I had this conversation, Jim, when I interviewed her, but we didn't. I didn't mm. get any of it because it was all off the record, but it's now in the public domain. Mm. Okay, last thing to say is uh, Sean Bean remains alive in Snowpiercer, so I'm still watching it. I can't understand why. <laughs> How many episodes in? Is this a record? Oh, Apart yeah. from Sharp, like obviously, three, which went on like forever. It's like three series in and he's still alive. Yeah, he's fantastic in it. Let's have a break. Let's talk about credulity, Mick. Do you want to go first with your documentary? Sure thing. I'll say Um, yours. I mean, you watched it. No, no, I made it. I've just been very shy about telling people. (laughs) No, no, I watched it. I'm actually enjoying having a couple of things to talk about because I've recently started re-watching The Wire. So March's Outside the Box is going to be very quiet for me. So, yeah, The Tinder Swindler. And I'm sure many, many listeners will, if not have watched it already, certainly heard of it. And this Netflix documentary is a, well, it's a Netflix documentary in that it's great for fans of sensationalism, true crime, algorithms, and being told the same thing repeatedly in slightly different ways over a too long two hours. But I've got to say that doesn't detract from there being a lot of interesting stuff in The Tinder Swindler, which is a story of A-star tosspot Simon Leviev, actually (laughs) Shimon Hayut, a jet-setting internet dating scammer 
who cheated loads of women out of loads of money, and I'm talking millions of dollars. Sure, it can and does beat you around the head with the facts, but at times it's genuinely gobsmacking, props to director Felicity Morris. And it covers a lot of ground. The perils and vulnerability of looking for love online, how very easy it is to be conned when someone is so good at conning, how damaging financially, emotionally, mentally it is for Hayut's many victims. And there's even the adrenaline punch of a chase as Interpol get involved. Ooh. Ooh. The three women interviewed for this documentary, who make up a small percentage of Hayut's marks over the years, got a lot of victim-blaming shit when this story first went public in a Norwegian newspaper, with people saying they were gold diggers who deserved everything they got, which is, of course, horseshit. A lot of people are swept off their feet by grand gestures, and Hyatt was at pains to flash the cash in order for them to believe he was wealthy enough to, one, have enemies, and two, crucially, that paying back the money he borrowed from them wouldn't be a problem. Also, they clearly really fucking loved him, and I think the documentary quite rightly portrays the women as sympathetic. Anyway, that chase I mentioned, bad guy gets caught, in it. Spoiler. <laughs> it's not a spoiler. It's in all the newspapers. But, and here's the kicker, rather than the Hollywood ending, despite serving time for fraud, Hayat is now a free man and back in Israel, claiming he's a good guy who's been hugely misrepresented and shopping for a new Ferrari. <sighs> Oh dear. And, I read today, has been snapped up by a talent scout. Oh, jeez. So the repercussions what? are interesting. People are fucking mad, aren't they? It's <laughs> just, why would you want to work with someone who you know from the outset is an untrustworthy bastard? Money, money, money. But it'll nick it. <laughs> Maybe. That's what he does. Yeah. 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 Possibly. Yeah, although I don't understand why women want to marry someone who left their wife for them even well, no. but that happens to no. it? a lot yeah well maybe i understand why they want to marry them but why they i don't understand why they think it will last might be closer if he did it to someone else he'll do it to you yeah. i can't make out whether it's worth watching or not yes because it is a truly odd wowzers story and i think now that you've had that you'd have known this anyway hannah i know how you feel about netflix documentaries it can be a bit netflix documentary and you're like oh i've seen this clip i've heard this clip four times now i get it but two-thirds of the way in there's this brilliant twist and another woman pops up and it becomes something much more interesting that makes sense of why you've had all the background i'd say watch it it was it was it's two hours it's great it could have been an hour and a half easily but I don't think you would regret watching it. Does it play music the whole way through? Like, <laughs> there's some atmosphere, Jed, yeah. <laughs> but not I the whole like, way through. I don't like it when they do that. Well, you know when there's like a bed of like intense music to sort of like ratchet up the stress levels? I'm going to put one while you're, you're saying that, Jed, just to annoy you. <laughs> if you could. I'm actually really busy, but that. I'm still going to find the time to find something. I'll be playing it <laughs> over this. And do you know what? The annoying thing is, whenever I speak, she just puts yakety sacks in the background. <laughs> but there's a lot of the footage is taken from phones because a lot of their relationships... <laughs> Look, another A-star toss pot. <laughs> a lot of their relationships with uh, Shimon, Simon, as he was, is done on their phones. And so you've got, obviously, the frame of the television that's then been turned into the portrait of a phone. 
And yeah, that got, I just got a bit annoying and I could understand why they were doing it. But yeah, when you're just watching a series of text messages come up again, it makes sense in the context, but they do it quite a lot. Was it like an early episode of Hollyoaks? Just to get my second reference in, in this episode of, do you remember that when they had the split screen? I don't, I don't no, think I've never I seen ever, an episode of Hollyoaks. When I watched Hollyoaks, Jen, no one had mobile phones yet. So <laughs> no, man, they did really early doors. Kurt Benson. Anyway, sorry, I won't go down. I won't go too far down that road. I'll tell you my jambo from Hollyoaks story when we get off air, Jen. I've watched a documentary, part of the Storyville season, which I think is on BBC Four, but it's been on now, so you will find it on the iPlayer. It was an award-winning documentary called Misha and the Wolves, which is about what happened when a woman who had written a Holocaust memoir, when her publisher suddenly thought, hang on. I don't know if I believe this story. And the story started to unravel. Yeah, it's about credulity. Again, it's about how believable some people are. And, you know, the whole question of of if someone tells a story enough times, do they start to believe it themselves? Hmm. Interesting, because my initial reaction, and obviously listeners can't see my face, is kind of horror that some bellend would pretend to have been involved in the holocaust well there is a lot of that there is a lot of people who are very angry but there's also the question of why people didn't ask questions sooner because what sort of bellend listens to a story about the holocaust and then says liar yeah yeah and i think it is really interesting you know even more interesting now because you know when you see people saying stuff on you know under a Jacob Rees-Mogg thing that says, I'm disabled and I think he's brilliant. And you think, well, are you disabled? What evidence do we have of, of that? But again, it's not a particularly good thing to say to someone, is it? Prove it, prove it. But it just demonstrates how easy it is to, to I suppose, have confirmation bias. I mean, the story she told was so extraordinary that it seems from the start as an outsider of why did anyone buy this? Has it got Why? wolves in it? Is this correct? Well, yes, it's basically yeah. that she managed to escape, you know, the Nazis and live with wolves in the forest. It sounds like Mouse, you know, the Arch Spiegelman book. Like, like oh, I left yeah. some of the nasty animals and went and lived with some friendlier animals in the forest. Clearly no leftover pizza that day. Yeah. And it's interesting from the point of view of, you know, how uh, obviously it has history in it of how you do find out where people were when they were lost you know, during the Holocaust and how the good side of what you might call citizen detective work rather than the, oh, let's, you know, become obsessed with true crime, but, you know, let's become obsessed with trying to track down this one person and what happened to them. This is a tangent, but I think you'll appreciate it, Hannah, because you just mentioned citizen detective. And I think most people who've watched Brilliant Telly recently could agree that the best citizen detective ever is surely Misty from Yellow Jackets. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Oh, why don't we have a Yellow Jackets to watch this month? Oh, Gary said exactly the same thing. He went, when's Yellow Jackets back? I'm like, not for a while. No, not for got a while. while to wait. Oh, I'm glad I didn't bother watching anything. I have Sorry, watched one other thing, which was on in January and tipped over into February, so we didn't cover it last time, which is Screw, six-part drama. Again, comedy-ish drama, more, I think, drama than comedy, on Channel 4, starring Nina Sasanya, who is always really, really solid, mm-hmm. Jamie Lee O'Donnell from Derry Girls, and 
I actually think the best person in it, well, actually, outside of Nina Sazania, the best person in it is Laura Checkley from Detectorists. She is, you know, the couple that one of them talks and the other one doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. What's she called? Is she called Mo? Is I can't called... remember their names, but I do now want to rewatch The Detectorists. Yeah, as she plays her in it. That's the only other thing that I've ever seen her in, and she's really good in it. Written by. Rob Williams, who apparently did volunteer in prison, so has some experience of what he's talking about. I mean, it's a Category C wing. It's all right. It does have a plot about a trans prisoner, which is really confused. Given that this is a man's prison, they talk about trans women being held in a segregation unit at the man's prison or the men's prison, when, as far as I'm aware, they are allowed to transfer to into the female estate. But for the most part, I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah. Cool. Anybody got anything to add or are we off to hear a story about Jambo? <laughs> Either that or I would maybe try and get hold of a second-hand pager. The wire has made me itchy to experience having a pager. I feel like we never got to enjoy pages. No, it's a bit, a bit like the fax, isn't it? No, not the fax, like the mini disc or something. Oh, Jen, both of those have been in my life. <laughs> I had a mini disc player as well. They weren't around for no, very no, long. There are whole tranches of tech that I could never afford and are now defunct anyway that I, I never got on board with, yeah. I think I've still got my mini disc player somewhere. Hannah sits on a throne of Betamax. <laughs> yeah. Outside the box. 